Key Biscayne Stories collects the history of our beautiful island. This is your host, Alejandro Cervalli, and I am a certified key rat for many, many years and counting. Join me and you will get to know your neighbors and their love for this slice of paradise we call home. So stay tuned, relax, and enjoy these great Key Biscayne Stories. Welcome to another episode of Kiwi Skin Stories. Today we have Tony Gaudi. Gaudi, yeah. <laughs> He's a youth pastor at the Kiwi Skin Community Church. So welcome, welcome, Tony. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Great. So let's start by getting to know you a little bit. Where are you originally from? Uh, born and raised in Miami. Uh, lived in Kiwi Skin until I was about four or five and then moved back when I was 19, uh, in that gap between five and 19, all my first cousins, all my aunts, they lived out in Key Biscayne. So I was on Key Biscayne back and forth. Uh, no more than a week would go by without me coming back to Key Biscayne. Awesome. And what, you have a family? You have a family? I see the beautiful pictures in the back. Yeah, that's my youngest daughter, my oldest daughter. There's my wife. There I am. Uh, yeah, it's just the four of us right now and my dog. So it's just the five of us for right now. Hey, the dog is a very important part of the family. So youth pastoring at the community church. Tell yeah. us about that. I'd tell, tell you about like what youth pastoring is like or. Yeah. What, what, is, what does a day look like for Tony as a youth pastor? The day kind of looks, um, it's a little bit odd, but my hours are whenever kids are out of school, right? So typically from three to 10 p.m., I need to be available. If a kid has an issue or something they need to talk about, I need to be there for that child and to give them guidance, to give them, to be there to just pray with them, pray for them. Um, just sometimes just even be there with, with no words. Kibis Gain, pastoring in Kibis Gain has its, its own set of obstacles or opportunities, if you want to look at them like that. but I have a heart for the island. I have a heart for the children of the island, for the people of the island. So I feel like God's placed me here for a reason. I feel like I'm honored that he would choose to use somebody like me to, to you know, take his message forward. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing pastoring on Key Biscayne. What is something that you like about pastoring in the Key? I like pastoring, period. But if we're going to single it down to just Key Biscayne. I, I just like that I've seen Key Biscayne change in my 43 years. I've seen it go from really no one locked their doors, everybody knew each other, to we have the population density of like a major city like Chicago. And with that, you know, there's some good things that come with that. And there's some obstacles or some, some, um, some things that you wish were like they used to be. But I think that uh, having the ability kind of to adapt to the certain certain culture, one thing that I've always um, had was the ability to communicate and to connect with kids. And that hasn't changed no matter whether kids were Cuban or Argentinian and Brazilian. It, it's the same thing for me. It, it's not something that I worked on. It's something that was a gift that God gave me. And like he gives all his children, 
uh, specific gifts so that they can do some specific work. And I think my work is to be done here on this island and, and, and to try to make this island look as close to heaven as possible. When we, when we spoke before the podcast, we had the pre-podcast chat, you, you mentioned you also coach kids. Yeah. What did you mean by coaching kids for our listeners? Yeah. So I've been coaching since pretty much 1997. And by coaching, I mean, literally coaching football, basketball, or baseball. I, mean, I remember seeing you at the, the Village Green. Yeah, the Village Green was like my home. The vill- you would either see me at the Village Green, at the elementary school, or the community center basketball courts. So I would always be at one of those three places, probably screaming at your kid because he wasn't doing something right. Uh, but coaching on Key Biscayne has, has actually been a huge blessing. And I've, I've some of my best friends are uh, young men and women that I used to be their coach. So that's how old I am. And they're in their 30s and I'm in my 40s. And it, it's amazing to see them grow from little kids to grown adults and to have their own families and their own kids that I'm hopefully going to get to coach at some point. Um, so, yeah, coaching on Key Game has been amazing. I have to really thank the people that were in charge when I got here because I wasn't everybody's cup of tea. I don't think I, I, I think that still holds true. And there were some people that, you know, they had to just believe in me and believe in believe that I was for the community and for the kids of the community. And they've kind of just stuck by me through for the last 20 plus years of me coaching on Key Game. So 20 years of coaching, impressive. And mm-hmm. thank you for your contribution to our community because interacting <laughs> with our youth is, <laughs> is, is very important. Coaches play yeah. a significant role in the upbringing of our children. So thank you. Um, You're welcome. 20 years, 20 years. What, what, is, what is the state of the youth today? What do you think? I would say right off the bat, because... I've obviously, when you coach for as long as I've coached and you've pastored and you've been involved in the community with an emphasis really on the kids of the community, I know without a shadow of a doubt that uh, it has, there's never been a time in history, in my opinion, where it's been harder to be an adolescent than it is right now. When I was a kid, when you were a kid, we talked about this earlier when you you and I spoke, but if I was going to get bullied or if I was the bully, there was a, a time frame. It was from the time school began till the time it ended. Now it's 24 seven. It's uh, every day of the week. It, it doesn't stop. And the pressures that our kids are under are so great. And I think a lot of times our parents, they, they have this false sense that, that, that they know what it's like to be a kid because they were once a kid, but they weren't never a kid in today's society where everything is fake almost. Your Instagram is only the best of you. Uh, your TikTok, you, you, if, if kids are doing TikTok and they don't do a good take, they'll retake it. If they post an Instagram and they don't get enough likes, they'll, they'll bring it down. So we're in a constant state of acceptance and affirmation. We need affirmation from, from everyone around us, even people we don't know. And when we don't get it, we allow it to determine the way we see ourselves, the way we go about our business. And also, I would say that 
society in general is attacking the family structure. And I think that that's affected Key Biscayne as well as every, it reaches as far as East is from the West. I think society is trying to dismantle manhood and they're trying to dismantle what a family uh, should look like uh, as far as, you know, husband, wife and their children and the way they raise their children. And we're, we're, we're going into some uncharted waters that are pretty, it, it, you'd be right to be uneasy about um, where we're headed because it's, it's getting so that there's no foundations anymore. There's no truth anymore. Everything's all about narrative. Everything's all about opinion and feelings. And that's a scary place to operate from just out of your feelings. I mean, when we spoke, I was, I was, you created some awareness in me and some issues. And, and I agree with you with, with all the things that we spoke. I mean, the just, I mean, we've, you just mentioned a lot of things. We got we got social media now where bullying yeah. is transitioning from school to through that, right? The connectivity amongst the kids. We have the the pressures that they're receiving around that. I liked the the acceptance and the need for that. You know, yeah. it's kids, these kids are are craving that that acceptance and validation. Um, touching on that a little bit, why do you think that is why are these kids relying on social media to create that validation? I just think it's it's human nature. I think if social media existed when I was this age, I would be doing the same exact thing because I did want validation from the people that were in my life. Now, if I went to a particular school, no one from another school knew who I was because social media didn't exist, right? Now you can go to Key Biscayne K-8 and people at Belen know you and people at Ransom know who you are and people at Gulliver know who you are, or Palmer Trinity. So we're able to reach much wider, which means that we allow way more people to have opinions on our, on our lives that, that, nece that shouldn't necessarily have um, one, one say or another and make us feel better or worse about ourselves. So my heart breaks for our kids because on one, on one end, they have all this resource. They have all these advancements in technology, and these things are amazing. But psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, they're facing some battles that, that I'll never know what it feels like to face those battles at that age with a brain that's not equipped to handle those battles. So, and then when you talk about Cuba Skin, you add to that, you add that these kids are, um, they have the means, they have a, a lot more freedom as a child on Cuba Skin than you necessarily would have in any other city in Miami, as far as kids being allowed to go to and from their practices or to and from restaurants or just, you know, the freedom in general on Key Biscayne has always been more than the average because it seems like a safe place. It seems like, you know, we have a, we have an amazing police department. We have, uh, everyone knows each other. We all look out for each other. And with that freedom, sometimes, you know, like, It could be a it could be a tricky, dangerous thing. Yeah, freedom, freedom grants some access to certain things, tools, or you know, they have access to money as well. Yeah. Okay. You also touched on the family structure. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I sometimes, depending on the issue that we're discussing with my friends, I feel like I uh, I always 
tell them like some some of the issues that we're dealing with in society. I'm not going to say all of them because I don't know all of them. Um, no. I say that we are just treating symptoms. You know, we are seeing the symptoms of a hurt or broken family structure. You touched mm-hmm. on family. I mean, I, I, we agree on that. Um, what are your thoughts? Let's dive a little more about that. The family structure. What are you seeing? There are some of the struggles that the family structure is seeing. Yeah, I would say, let's say, for instance, I've, I've been involved with the youth on, on a place like Key Biscayne, which I think is per capita, one of the top three wealthiest communities in the state of Florida. And then I've coached in, in inner cities where they're not making much. And there's a lot of single motherhood. The single motherhood rate is, is very high in some of these areas that I've coached in. And I've seen that the difference is, is not that there's no problems on Key Biscayne. The difference is in the inner city, it's like, um, you know what the problem is. It, it doesn't sneak up on you. And Key Biscayne, I, I've seen many kids that have two parents in the home and the, I never seen the father at a game. And I maybe coached the kid for three, four years and never seen the father at a practice. And I know a lot of times that has to do with, you know, the father's profession. He, need, he needs to go or, or, or the mother's profession. Sometimes there's moms that don't make it. Usually the moms show up, but um, sometimes in rare cases, you won't see a mother all season or two seasons in a row. And I know that there's certain circumstances, but imagine for a child who just wants acceptance and love from their parents and start to question whether or not that exists in their life. And I think that the family structure on Key Biscayne, the, the one really cool thing about Key Biscayne is that there's so many different cultures on Key Biscayne. And I think that that's actually something that is a benefit to our island, but I think it could sometimes be detrimental because now there's so many of every type of person that they don't really need to be in community with other people. So there's enough Argentinians that they can just hang with Argentinians. And there's enough Brazilians that they can have a little Brazilian section and just hang with each other or Venezuelans or, you know, Europeans or Cubans or any of these things. And I think one thing that we've lost on the island is a sense of just general overall community. And I do think that it takes a village to raise a child. And I do think that instead of just talking about the issues and the problems that we're facing with our children, with our families, we need to talk about some solutions. And I think some of those solutions have to do with the community coming around these children. Because I, I, I oftentimes hear um, adults say, oh man, our kids are out of control. Our, our kids are fighting on the village green. They're stealing golf carts. Look, we do have a problem with some unruly kids. We have a, a drug abuse problem, an alcohol abuse problem. But the biggest problem we have on the island as far as unruly behavior from kids is a parental problem. And, and it's easier to just say, oh, it's the kids' fault than it is as a parent who lives on Key Biscayne, right? You're probably your own boss. We got a lot of people that are, that are their own boss. They call the shots to tell the parent, hey, maybe you're making some errors in the way that you're raising your kids and maybe you're not leaving a, a, enough open space for communication with your children. And because this is what I've found, right? And I've dealt with, I've, I've worked with Fire Chief Eric Lang, Police Chief uh, Ch- Charles Press, and we've worked with all these kids. And look, if I'm a kid and I make a mistake, 
and I come to my parent and I say, hey, this is what happened. And that parent just drops the hammer on me and just banishes me for life. The, the behavior probably isn't going to stop. I'm still going to find I'm, kids are resourceful. They're going to find a way. The only thing that will, will that will stop is the parent knowing about the behavior now. Right. So I think that it's key for parents to maintain that line of communication with their children, because just because your kids aren't telling you doesn't mean they're not doing things. They're going to do things whether they tell you or not. You'd rather know about it than not know about it. And then not just keep us game, but everywhere we have like a not my kid syndrome where we always think it's someone else's kid, but my kid would never be a bully. My kid would never do drugs. My kid would never get drunk. My kid would never get in a fight. And your kid would. Your kid would because kids are kids. And the, like I mentioned before, the social pressure is so large that whatever peer pressure you thought you felt, you know nothing about what peer pressure is in today's society, in today's world. So I think less less pointing the finger at the children and more coming around them and meeting them where they are and asking them hey what it is you're going through how can we be a resource for you how can we help you with still giving them some autonomy because i don't know about you but when i got sixth seventh eighth grade i wanted less to do with my mother than i did when i was in first and second and third grade so these kids, they, they, they want to be able to know that they're their own people. And there's going to be, a, and, and I, I've seen parents here for years, a lot of parents, they parent in fear of losing this friendship with their children. And they don't know how to react when their kids get into adolescence and start to distance themselves from their parents. And then what they do is that they, they hold on too tight and that distance grows even more than it would have. The distance is natural. Kids are going to naturally want to figure some things out on their own, and they're going to have to figure some things out on their own. You can't figure out everything for them. And I think that that's easier said than done. Like this two-year-old up here, when she gets um, into those ages, I'm gonna someone's going to have to remind me of this advice that I was given, that I was giving out. They're going to be like, hey, Tony, remember when you said that you got to give your kids a little bit of freedom and not drop the hammer? And so, yeah, it's easy for me to say these things. I'll, I'll send you the podcast. Yeah, real easy to say, really hard to do. So I think, I think you, are, you are bringing me to a natural question of how do you approach your kids? What's the right way? I mean, I'm sure there's many ways, many styles, many kids in relationships. Are, they, are, they some, are there some base recommendations on how one can approach their kid? Oof. Yeah, so that's, that's another one. Like if there was a book, on how to do it and you would you would have success 100 percent of the time you know it's just not true i've seen some parents that from the outside looking in and i've actually been privileged enough to really get inside some homes and like and like be a part of some families and see how they parent and see how they treat each kid and, and see how they set the structure in the home and i've seen some amazing parents and their kids do some lousy stuff and I've seen some really crappy parents and their kids turn out to be like the best kids ever. So I don't think there's one right or wrong way to do it. But I will say this. You said, what are some things? I say communication is key. I think like in any relationship, in the, in the parent-child relationship, in the husband-wife relationship, in the employer-employee relationship, 
if you if there's a breakdown in communication, then you start to you start to live in this in this space of expectancy. And then when your expectations are not met, you're upset and you're distraught and you can't understand why. And the reason is because you never expressed the expectation to begin with. Right. So we need to be able to communicate with each other. Parents need to have more grace for their kids. But there also must be consequence. If, if your child's living free of consequence, then you are digging that child's own grave on your own because the world is going to have consequences. The world doesn't love your child like you love your child. So we need to be able to be filled with grace, but, but consequences need to be part of the equation. And communication is, I, I would say, the most important thing is communication. So in order for you to communicate with your child, you need to be there. So we're telling parents yeah. is be more present. Oh, yeah. I think pres- I think being intentional with your kids, caring about what they care about. You could have been a great athlete and your kid wants to be a, a dancer. And I actually know a family on Key Biscayne filled with phenomenal athletes. Three boys, all of them played college football. Mm-hmm. The fourth boy, they tried, they wanted him to play football like his big brothers. It wasn't for him. He wanted to be a dancer. And now he's dancing in one of the top dance schools in the world in London. So, and and they didn't make him feel any like guilt for not being an athlete or wanting to play football. Bro, his whole family bought in. His whole family was at his recitals. His whole family was just affirming him day after day and you know, the proof is in the pudding. We see where he is now. We see that he, he grew up in a, in, a, in a culture of affirmation, in a culture of responsibility, you know, and he doesn't necessarily have to be like everybody else. I think a lot of times we, we push things on our kids that they don't want themselves. Or maybe we see like an attribute in our child that maybe they don't see. And we try to push that because we, quote unquote, know what's best for them. But I think it's important to let children express what they, what their desires are. And then within reason, you know, like help them to, to get to what it is that they want to do. I like that. I like that very much. Being intentionally present in your kid and listening to what they like. Like if your kid likes to play Call of Duty, yeah, sit down, play Call of Duty with your kid because a lot of things could happen from there. You grow together, you can communicate, you guys can have something to talk about. If you're sure. all into the financial stock market when your kid is, <laughs> is playing Call of Duty, play a couple of games. It's not going to hurt you, right? And for, for these parents, they better start learning about NFTs and Bitcoins because <laughs> their kids are coming. Tony, I know that we're running out of time. This conversation has been great, educational. I have, I have definitely learned some things. I love it. Thank you so much, Tony, for taking the time and joining us today and sharing us your story. 